if we struggle with the concept of prayer, again, nothing new to our generation. Obviously an issue that the people in Jesus' day also needed to wrestle with, and he said this in Matthew chapter 6, starting from verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A fortnight ago, we looked at the verses just before these ones that we've read here. And uh, we noted there that in the culture, the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, it was perceived that there were three meritorious acts of righteousness that people did to demonstrate their spirituality. If you were really, really right with God, you gave to the poor and the needy, you prayed, and you would fast. So when it came to prayer, some people were obviously, by what Jesus addresses, using prayer as a means of showing off. They used words and language that sounded like they were talking to God, but really their words were for the ears and the good impression of those who were listening in. And and Jesus had some strong words to say to people who used prayer in this kind of way. He called them Hypocrites. The original Greek word that's in the New Testament there, hypocrites, was a, a very strong word that Jesus used no less than 17 times throughout the Gospels to describe people who played a role that was not sincere. Now, the word meant literally to be an actor, someone who put on a mask, who played a role that was not genuine, that was for the benefit of others. They were play-acting. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of uh, being engaged in a conversation with someone in a crowded room who keeps on looking over your shoulder and acknowledging or waving to the people behind you while presenting themselves as having a conversation with you. It's, It's very disconcerting. You actually feel put out as if this person is not really sincere. They're working the room. And I kind of think that is something of what Jesus was talking about when people were using the medium and the language of prayer in such a way that was actually to communicate with other people rather than genuinely with God. They were supposedly engaged in a conversation with God, but all the while their mind was on all the other people that were listening and the impression given to them. Now, that, I mean, that, that said, we mustn't misunderstand Jesus in this passage that we have read 
For he wasn't criticising public prayer per se. Uh, He wasn't inferring that it really only connects with God when uh, a person prays in private. His point was more about whom a person praying perceives to be their audience. Prayer was being used as a means of, I guess, lateral communication with other people uh, rather than vertical communion and communication with God. And Jesus' point was simple. If you're talking to God, then let him be the focus of your attention. I I remember once uh, being out for dinner and feeling horribly embarrassed at a meal as the husband said grace before the meal started, but in his prayer forgot or didn't mention any reference of gratitude uh, to the wife who had cooked the meal. And she basically sulked throughout the rest of the evening because she wasn't mentioned uh, as a word of thanks in the grace. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever in thanking the cook for a meal they prepare. In fact, I would actually strongly encourage that we do that. Uh, But doing so in the middle of a prayer of thanks to God is probably not the most appropriate place to do that. If we're talking to God, we talk to God. There's another story about a former Baptist pastor by the name of Bill Moyers who worked as a White House press secretary and special assistant to President Lyndon Johnson. And one day he was asked to say grace before a meal in the family quarters of the White House. And as Moyers began praying softly, the president interrupted him and said, Speak up, Bill, speak up! Uh, to which Bill Moyers apparently uh, stopped his prayer, didn't look up, but simply said, I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. Then there are people who speak ordinary vernacular speech when they're talking in general conversation. But the moment they start to pray audibly, they adopt an altogether different tone in their voice. Have you ever heard this? Our Father and our God. That's not how he normally talks to me. There are also those who use open times of prayer to preach a little sermon or get a point across, uh, communicate information they think others haven't heard, like the man at a prayer meeting at the Baptist Tabernacle in Auckland a few decades ago who was uh, reputed to have prayed, Dear Lord, as you doubtless read in this morning's New Zealand Herald newspaper. (laughs) Now, if we've got news to share or... Uh, if we've got a burning conviction that something should be done and we're in a group prayer meeting, better to actually interrupt and stop the prayer and share the information. There's nothing carnal or wrong or sinful about doing that. Uh, But don't mix it in with prayer if the underlying motive in the communication is actually for the ears of other people listening in. There's another issue that Jesus singled out for special mention are those who recite religious words that don't actually have any meaning to them. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What's Jesus getting at when He says this? 
Well, I, I think Jesus wanted us to see prayer as personal communication from the heart of the prayer rather than merely recitation of pre-prepared statements. I mean, what kind of marriage would it be like if the husband who comes in after a day at work walks in the back door and reads his greeting to his wife off of a script? Hello, darling. How was your day? It is good to see you. To which the wife responds from her pre-prepared script, Thank you, darling. My day was wonderful. Tell me, how were things at your place of work today? That would be a little bit strange, right? When people know and love each other, they do not need the help of the Hallmark greeting card company to put together words of affection. They speak freely out of their hearts, and I think that's something of what Jesus had in mind. If you love God, talk to him as freely and spontaneously as you would someone you know and you love. So I I guess that raises a question that we ought to try and respond to about the use of things like prayer books or fixed liturgies that many Christian traditions use and really appreciate. I mean, is Jesus inferring here that this is actually wrong, that set prayers are inappropriate or like pagan babbling? I was interested to read this week that noted Anglican theologian, the the late John Stott, actually raised this very question about his own denomination. He said, are Anglicans guilty of babbling and meaningless prayers with their set forms of prayer permit an approach to God with the lips while the heart is far from him? Interesting question. On the other hand, though, and this is important in churches like ours where we don't often use a set liturgy or pre-prepared prayers, although we do sing them these days, uh, there are many, many people who find the pre-prepared prayers in something like a prayer book or a fixed liturgy a profound and moving expression of worship. They capture the heart sentiments and express ideas in a very profound way. And sometimes in our free church traditions where prayers are almost always extemporaneous, maybe there are times when we are actually weaker for our insistence on informality and spontaneity. But the pagans of Jesus' day, Jesus mentions them, they they went through the motions of ritual spirituality, but it didn't connect with their hearts. And and, and maybe this might apply, I, I... I don't know, to how Jews or Muslims or Buddhists or other uh, secular ritualistic meditation, how they all approach prayer in a kind of a sterile religious ritual. Maybe the same could apply to some of the uh, older Catholic traditions where the entire worship liturgy is conducted in the language of Latin that nobody in that particular vernacular context actually speaks. Jesus, I think, calls us to talk with our own language. Rather than just reciting someone else's words, God also longs to hear us use our own words, even if they aren't as precise or measured as those that are especially prepared. Then Jesus offered another suggestion about where we go about praying. 
When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Again, mustn't misunderstand Jesus here. He isn't suggesting that praying in groups or in front of others is wrong, as if the only true or genuine prayer is that which is offered on our own behind a closed door in our prayer closet. I mean, that, that, that would actually contradict several other statements that Jesus made about prayer, where he encourages us to listen in to what others are praying and to agree uh, in what has been asked. We make their prayer our own. It was Jesus who suggested that when two or three gather together and agree in prayer, that it actually has more effect. So, so what's his point in this particular statement here? Well, I, I think the point he was making was actually one of focus. If you are tempted to use prayer as communication uh, to bolster your spiritual ego, to let other people think well of you because of the eloquence with which you pray, then a great way to avoid that is to pray on your own. No one else listening. Because prayer is not so much talking about God. Prayer is talking to God. And when we pray on our own with no one else listening, the degree of intimacy and honesty and confidentiality with God goes up several notches. God becomes less of a bystander to our communication and more the one we're actually addressing. So taking all of this so far, what do we do then when we get alone with God in times of prayer? Well, I, again, I think Jesus offered some great advice on how we do that. In fact, he gave us a really good agenda for our prayer times. You're familiar with this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I mean, permit me to be just a little bit radical here, but I, I wonder, could it be that a lot, maybe most Christians, have completely misunderstood the point that Jesus was making this? Because a lot of us have grown up reciting these words from when we were very young. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's something we... Uh, are taught to say by rote, and in many church traditions, this is something that is part of the weekly liturgy. That was certainly the case when I was growing up in the church that our family were a part of. In fact, in the secular government high school that I attended, we would recite, all of us in the school, uh, the Lord's Prayer at least once a week in a school assembly. But here's the question. Did Jesus ever intend it to be a set prayer at all? Or was he laying out an agenda for prayer? I mean, after all, Jesus has just been talking about how prayer needs to be personal and heartfelt and not mindless babbling like pagans. And in many cases, well, that's exactly the way the Lord's Prayer is recited. The words roll off the tongue, but the sentiment behind each phrase is, has very little impact or meaning. By contrast, when you actually stop and unpack Jesus' prayer agenda, oh my goodness, this incredibly comes alive. So Jesus, I think, was not so much teaching us what to say as we pray, 
as how to pray. And the first thing that he addresses is the manner with which we address God. Our Father in heaven. In other words, when we speak to God, we're to speak in tones of intimacy as a child speaks with a parent. Jesus encourages us to come before God with a a sense of family relationship. We we don't pray to some far-off deity or a a God whose anger has has to be appeased or someone in whose presence we're supposed to make formal speeches. No, when we talk with God, we don't need rehearsed or prepared statements. We come before him as someone with whom we are related. <clears throat> when the little children of a king or a queen or, or a, a prince or a political leader of a country sit down around the family dinner table at night, I, I don't imagine the children refer to your majesty or to Mr. President They talk to daddy. In fact, that's exactly how God invites us to come before him in prayer. Not not with formal speeches and stuffy protocol or having to especially choose our words carefully lest we say the wrong thing. When we pray, we're talking with dad. Actually, that's exactly the meaning of the concept of prayer that Jesus demonstrated in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Mark's version of that occasion where Jesus was praying that the cup of suffering might pass from him, he prays to Abba, Father. And that word Abba, Paul used it also in his letter to the Galatians and to the Romans, literally means Daddy. It expresses the love and the intelligent confidence of a young child towards their parent. That's how we come to pray. When we pray, we're not just addressing the Father, but our Father. More particularly, my Father. If we're a follower of Jesus, we have been adopted into God's family. And as a parent knows the intimate history of his or her children, so our Heavenly Father knows all about our past and what we're really like. Nothing is hidden from him, and our communication and prayer begins with the realization of intimacy and knowledge. So, having taught us how to approach the Father in prayer, I think Jesus then goes on to suggest seven specific topics that are good for us to pray about. Now, uh, you're not going to want to sit through seven sermons, although we could do that on each of these prayer agenda items. So I'm going to cover this very, very quickly. But here are seven examples of the kind of things that's good for us in intimate communication with our Heavenly Father to pray about. Agenda item number one, hallowed be your name. Or as the Good News Bible renders it, uh, may your holy name be honoured. In other words, when we are praying to Daddy, we also remember who he is and what he's like. God is holy. God is distinct from the things of this world. The God to whom we pray, to whom we are related, actually transcends our human existence. While we don't need to approach him as someone to be feared or appeased, we also 
ought not to treat him flippantly. So we remember who God is, and our prayer times, agenda item number one, starts with honor and worship of God. Agenda item number two, your kingdom come. You see, when we pray, as followers of Jesus, we try and key ourselves into God's big picture and purpose. Certainly rather than hoping that he will fit into ours. And when Jesus came amongst us, he preached the coming or the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. The kingdom of God exists wherever and over whomever Jesus, God reigns as king. And, and in that sense, the kingdom of God is perpetually intent on growth and expansion. So to pray for the coming of God's kingdom as a prayer agenda item is to pray that more people and more territory will come under the rule of God. In other words, we pray for the expansion, the evangelistic growth of God's mission in our world. Agenda item number three, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This obviously goes hand in hand with the uh, prayer item of the coming of God's kingdom. Where the kingdom or rule of God is, there the will of God is done. And uh, the most obvious place where that happens at the moment is at headquarters or the capital city of God's kingdom, which is heaven. There the will of the king is carried out to the full. But God's expressed objective is that that situation of what happens there will be emulated in the earth that we live on. Among all other things we bring to God in prayer, we are instructed to also pray for the fulfillment of God's desire and will within our world. In other words, we pray for issues of righteousness, issues of justice, issues of peace within our world. We pray and ask God for the courage to be able to live out his will in our own lives, in the midst of a world that has values that are very different to God's. Agenda item number four, give us our daily bread. We bring before God our daily needs for survival. Or to put that another way, God is not only interested in listening to our words of worship and praise, he is also interested in the affairs of our everyday life. Talking to God about the provision of food and basic necessities in life is actually not carnal or selfish. They are matters God cares about and is interested in responding to. Remember having a conversation with someone months, some years ago who said, well, I, when I pray, I, I don't like to pray about myself. I only want to pray about other things because well, that, 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 they're kind of selfish things just for me. Well, no, that's not what Jesus said. Pray about the selfish things. Of course, when you pray, if it's a little bit too selfish, you might not get the answer you selfishly want. But bring before God our need for basic needs. Do we have needs? Ask God to supply them. Uh, Agenda item number five. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So Jesus encourages us to confess our sins to God and ask his forgiveness. And that word in the New Testament that's translated as confess essentially means to own up to, to agree, to admit. With respect to our sin, we agree with God's assessment of what we are like. 
And rather than mitigating or denying that, we own up to our actions and attitudes that are disobedient to the will of God and we ask his forgiveness. In the same way that offensive or deceitful behavior interferes with ordinary relationships, clear communication with God is also interfered with when we know there are outstanding issues. So in our alone times with God, we admit our failures, our falling short of God's standards, and we ask his forgiveness. But this little prayer agenda item comes with a sting in the tail. Did you catch the rider that Jesus put on asking of forgiveness. Because he said, we can only ask or expect God to forgive us as much as we're willing to forgive others who have sinned against us. In fact, it's this particular prayer agenda item that is singularly uh, expounded upon by Jesus at the end of his statement about prayer. He said in verse 14, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Ergo, we cannot ask God to forgive us more than we're willing to forgive others. Or to put that the other way around, If we refuse to forgive others and continue to hold resentment and grudges, our own sin will not be forgiven. Agenda item number six, lead us not into temptation. Now, that's never to suggest that God ever tempts us. The Bible is quite clear on this. James chapter 1 verse 13, when when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now this, this is actually a, an agenda item, a request for God's help to withstand temptation. Are there areas of weakness or vulnerability in us toward particular types of sin? Make these items for prayer. Ask God for courage and character to not give in for his help and protection. And in fact, the more we make issues like this the subject of our prayer, the less likely we are to be put into situations where we're likely to be tempted. And then the last one, agenda item number seven, deliver us from the evil one. Here's the deal. We who follow Jesus have an enemy. The devil's stated desire is our corruption and our destruction. And one of our greatest weapons in standing against the devil's schemes is to pray. Among all the other things we pray about, we ask God for strength and protection from evil. Now, as I said, this is raced through seven prayer agenda items real quick. Each of them is worthy of a sermon all on their own. But in closing this morning, can I offer a word to those who might be tempted to think that they don't have time in their busy schedule to pray? Stephen Covey, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, his seventh habit, tells the story about a woodcutter who was feverishly trying to saw down a tree. You look exhausted. How long have you been at it? Over five hours, the woodcutter replied. And I'm beat. This is really hard work. Well, maybe you could take a break for a few minutes and sharpen that saw. Then the work could go faster, the observer noted. 
Oh, no, 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 no time, the man said emphatically. I'm, I'm far too busy soaring to stop and do that. Some people think they don't have time for God, so they labor through life with a blunt saw. Actually, Abraham Lincoln is once reputed to have said, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening the axe. Maybe the best thing we can do in coping with the rigors and the stresses of life is to stop cutting and sharpen our friendship with Jesus by spending alone time in prayer Do you know what? We might be surprised the difference that that makes. Let's pray together.